Show me the crypto. <laughs> Show me the crypto. <laughs> Show me the crypto. In a world on the brink of disruption, two men will bring you clarity by interviewing some of the most intelligent and influential names in the blockchain world. Welcome to Show Me the Crypto with your hosts, Wade Patterson and Ulf Lonegren. Well, hi there and welcome to Show Me the Crypto. My name's Wade Patterson. And I'm Ulf Lonegren. We're a couple of friends from Canada who love learning about cryptocurrencies and blockchain technology, and we're happy you're along for the ride. Whether you're a crypto virgin or you know your way around the block, we hope our interviews with some of the most intelligent and influential people in the blockchain space help deliver you with value. And on this episode, we're joined by Mati Greenspan, founder and CEO of Quantum Economics. Mati has been tracking market prices since the age of 13. That passion and deep understanding has given him a reputation as one of the top analysts in the cryptocurrency space. A co-author of the ebook The Complete Guide to Fintech Trading and Investments, Mati was named number 97 on Cointelegraph's Top 100 Most Notable People in Blockchain in 2021. His motto is, if not now, when. Mati, welcome to Show Me the Crypto. Oh, thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, really excited to have you on. And the first question, I came across a Coindesk survey that you had filled out and you were asked to explain how you got into crypto in one word and you chose the word gift. So I'm wondering if you can expand on that specifically, like what, what the story behind it was and how that eventually led to you find founding Quantum Economics. Yeah, sure. Um... So, yeah, yeah. Oh, I was working at eToro at the time, of course, 2013, and um, I, I'd never heard of uh, crypto before, and or obviously there was no crypto at that time, it was just Bitcoin, um, and uh, Yoni Asya, the, the uh, founder and uh, co-founder and CEO of eToro, sent out an email, uh, you know, saying, uh, telling people about Bitcoin, and of course, uh, I fell in love right away as somebody who, you know, was firsthand witness of the 2008 financial crisis and uh, the aftermath um, and all of the Fed printing. And I'm going, wow, we can have it. We can have our own money. This is so cool. Um, and then uh, about a week later, two weeks later, um, everybody who was interested was invited to a meeting about Bitcoin where we learned where it was. And Yoni said, okay, so whoever opens up a digital wallet, I'll, I'll give you one Bitcoin. It was worth like 30 bucks back then. <laughs> so uh, that was it. was a gift. And so before we jump into quantum economics, uh, I've heard you talk about this on a couple other interviews, and you have quite an interesting background and upbringing. First off, your grandfather was a self-made billionaire, which is incredibly interesting. And then another thing I mentioned in the bio, the fact that you've had the your eyes on the market since an incredibly young age. So how did that upbringing impact your eventually growing into the career that you have now? Yeah, man, uh, thanks for doing your research, Wade. That's that's really awesome. Um, I feel like I feel like you might know a bit more about me than, than I do at this point. <laughs> Um, well, I would say that, uh, you know, it, it just helped along the way, I suppose my, my life has been kind of a, a chain of, uh, a chain of events, like, I guess what, like everybody else really. Um, and, uh, I, I went to, when I went into, uh, finance, um, you know, I was looking for something to do on the internet and say, okay, like, how do I, how do I make money? How do I make a lot of money? Because uh, I was I was a musician before that, let's say from the age of uh, 19, 20, 21, I was going to music school and I really wanted to be a musician. I mean, I'd, I'd done paper trading in, in the past and always was interested in investments. And of course, you know, the lessons that we learned around the, around the table in my family, that those all certainly played a big part of who I am today. Um, but once I met my wife, she was like, okay, you got to go get a job. So I started turning on Bloomberg television. I, I didn't understand a lick of it at first. I promise you it was like 80% of what they were talking about when in one year, one right out the other, I fall asleep in front of the TV often. 
started reading, you know, CNBC and Wall Street Journal and everything like that. Um, and then uh, I got a job in AvaFX in 2008, um, just, just at the tail end. <laughs> um, so I was able to uh, watch the whole uh, financial crisis from inside of uh, an online broker and hmm. saw a lot of uh, interesting things there. And I suppose it's been kind of uh, one step after the other from then until uh, eToro. And then, of course, uh, the rest is history. Uh, can I ask what what uh, instruments were you playing or was it more like music producing or? or... Yeah, sure. So um, I played guitar probably from the age of 15 or so. Um, but in, in music school, I learned a lot of stuff. I mean, it was three years of full-time music. So, you know, orchestra, voice leading, counterpoint. Um, I played a few wind instruments along the way as well. I hate piano. I can't, I, I couldn't do piano, but, uh, or keyboards or anything like that. But um, side flute and uh, clarinet uh, vocals and, wow. uh, you know, kind of stuff. Cool. So moving on, you know, after you did leave eToro and you started up Quantum Economics, what was the basis behind it? What what was the mentality behind quantum economics? And can you explain to our listeners or viewers, uh, you know, what quantum economics is? Sure. So, I mean, you know, while I was at Etoro, obviously, I, I I'd seen uh, and and been exposed to a lot of different kinds of um, businesses and, and, and transactions and business models, of course, and had a lot of ideas about stuff that I might want to do someday. And um, one of the things that I did while I was in eToro early on, I, I you remember when Tumblr was a thing? I don't know if you guys oh, remember yeah. that age. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, and I named my Tumblr, my Tumblr page uh, Quantum Economics and just kind of everybody uh, really liked that name. A lot of people gave you some good feedback. That should be a YouTube channel or that should be a band or, you know, like all kind of <laughs> stuff. And, uh, so it seemed just like a, a, a perfect uh, name. And um, really, it's it can be everything and everything that I've been uh, wanting to do and for, for a very long time. So we do a, a very we have a very wide range of financial services, of course. Um, and uh, that includes uh, research and analysis, uh, advisory services, and money management. So, um, <laughs> quite is quite quite a, an eclectic, uh, I guess, uh, collection of things that that we do. When it comes to the research and analysis side, what kinds of things are you looking at when you're analyzing financial markets? Yeah, sure. So, um, we, we now have a team of about uh, a dozen. Uh, financial analysts, um, mostly within the crypto space, um, some of which are, you know, thought leaders in their own right. Um, you can see on our About Us page, um, you know, uh, our, our VP of content, Charles Beauvert, he's, he's written 400 articles for, for Forbes already. Um, and he's a se senior contributor there. And, uh, you know, Luke Kerner, uh, is the CEO of uh, Big Token, which is basically like a, a project for um, monetizing your own data and taking back control from from uh, from the big uh, the big guns. Uh, but he's also, you know, obviously an angel investor for many years. Uh, Ethan Pierce, uh, Rachel Wolfson. I mean, you, you might you might know some of these people. And um, I mean, I personally feel quite honored, uh, you know, to be to be working with them and you know. Uh, and, and each 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 member of my team, of course, has a very specific focus. Um, can be within traditional markets, of course, but also within the blockchain space. So we have a dedicated analyst for uh, for DeFi, a dedicated analyst for Bitcoin, um, you know, stable coins, uh, CBDCs, and any other you know niche market you can think of within uh, crypto. Uh, we have somebody who is an expert within that area. And 
what's the typical type of customer for you? Like who comes and actually utilizes your services? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, so as far as research and analysis is generally going to be, uh, let's say a broker or an exchange um, or any kind of startup project um, that uh, generally speaking, they're looking to uh, increase their reach uh, or increase the market's uh, knowledge on a specific subject. Um, so we have the option either for them to do kind of uh, ghostwritten, which we do a lot of, uh, where basically uh, they come to us, they give us, you know, they'll either give us some of their own data uh, that they want us to highlight. Um, and we supplement that with research from our own side. And then it gets published out in their name completely. Or we can do kind of co-branded stuff where, you know, it has quantum economics stamped on it. And of course, uh, we have a lot of followers across social media. Uh, right now, just just on Twitter and LinkedIn alone, we have a quarter of a million followers. Wow. Uh, and we've been mentioned in the news uh, one and a half thousand times since the start of the year. Wow. Congratulations. And, and, yeah. And speaking of Thanks. the fact that, you know, it's been mentioned so many times, I think that's what happens. I mean, we're clearly seemingly in a, a bull run right now, a bull cycle. And that brings about you know, the price news brings about a lot of attention and interest into the space. What is your message to somebody who's maybe just hearing more and more and getting more interested about crypto because of all of these headlines and this type of thing? And now they're jumping in, FOMOing and maybe expecting to 10x or 100x. What's your message to those people? Yeah, so uh, we do get a lot of those, and it's not just right off the internet. Um, you know, as we as we progress throughout the bull cycles, there's always going to be uh, also you know friends of friends or family members, and uh, you know, and, and we get we get a lot of we get a lot of both, I suppose. Um, uh, it, it's very difficult to to generalize because everybody's really different. I mean, that's one of the the, the uh, challenges i suppose of social media and you know right in my handle on on twitter it says you know tweets are not financial advice uh and, and the reason for that because I, I i do have a trader's license and i am authorized to give people financial advice but i cannot do that <laughs> on a on a one-to-many platform right mm. i can give you financial advice only once i understand who you are where you're coming from what are your goals what do you want to do with your money where's your other you know what is your what is your overall portfolio look like what is your appetite for risk once we have that conversation then i can say okay well you might want to diversify with uh this and this asset class or something like that and that can be uh helpful for you but when you get people on twitter like with a tweet um i don't know and you know i, I <laughs> Like I, I frequently get people, you know, okay, so tell me which coin I should buy. I don't know, man. <laughs> like, come on, <laughs> which coin is going to, which coin is going to moon tomorrow? I don't know. I, you know, um, what I do know is that, you know, the, the projects that I'm involved in, um, I, I really am in a unique position where I get to choose uh, which, you know, which companies I work with and which, uh, which blockchain projects I support. Uh, and I can I can proudly say that all of them are doing extremely well. Um, I think that you know this uh, this recent bull run has been a blessing in in so many ways that I I couldn't even begin to uh, I couldn't even begin to count. So um, to answer your question, I, I suppose it's very uh, it's going to be very individual depending on depending on who is asking and, and what the context is. You mentioned that your, you know, you get to choose those blockchain projects that you choose uh, to work with and be involved with. What are some of those projects? Is is that public knowledge, or is that something you're able to share? There, there are a few, yeah, a few of them are are, are public knowledge. Um, so four of them specifically. Uh, the first one that I signed on as an advisor to is Lunar Crush, which is lunarcrush.com. And I don't know if you're familiar with what they do. Uh, it's really fun stuff. So you can you can check out their website, and they basically do uh, social listening for crypto, is what they call it. But mm -hmm. the way I see it is uh, measuring the network uh, value of cryptocurrencies. They got all of the uh, cryptos um, listed, and then they've got you know 
um, different kind of categories for social volume and they rank them based on their own uh, proprietary metrics and they have some really cool visualizations, graphs and stuff that you can uh, play around with and compare and contrast different cryptocurrencies. And uh, they're listening to everything. So that includes, you know, Twitter and uh, and Reddit, Medium, and also, you know, uh, the media and everything like that. Um, it's in interesting because, you know, cryptos don't have uh, any kind of, um, you know, traditional ways of measuring the value of them. So really one way that I believe in the future will, will be much more prominent is the size of the network. And this is really how we how we measure it. So is that like social sentiment data that's being displayed through a platform by way of dashboards that you can utilize on the platform? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's lunarcrush.com and you can, and they're, and they've just added now a feature that I, I, I uh, personally um, had the pleasure of, of, of assisting them with, which is kind of an alert system. Um, which will give you, you know, either an SMS or a Telegram message or an email, however you choose. Uh, once, you know, the social volume, for example, spikes, or or you can really personalize it. Um, and uh, it's 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 quite interesting because because I was the first one. Uh, it was the first uh, advisory uh, that I took, and uh, now now I have the uh, the pleasure of actually investing in them which is it's quite a turnaround because they're just like as far as i see they're knocking it out of the park and they they keep their website just keeps uh their the traffic just keeps blowing up so um definitely worthwhile cool. um the second one that i signed on as an advisor to is chili's and i'm sure you've heard i see you guys nodding yeah, yeah. everybody knows chili's i mean it's just like it's it's completely exploded um and i think that it, it only has room to grow from here obviously i mean it's you know their target mark their target audience is sports fans and you know that's probably one of the biggest demographics you can think of other than you know gender right yeah. like um billions of people across the world consider themselves sports fans and uh they started in the biggest sport obviously football in the european union um you know and and, and right away uh partnering with some of the biggest teams there and now they've just uh, made a, a, an investment of $50 million to go into the United States. So, like, uh, it just, you know, as far as I see, it, it's, it's just an amazing project. And they have the right idea. They have the right, uh, they have the right team. They have the right tokenomics. Uh, and everything kind, of, everything kind of fits in place. Um, and the, the third one is uh, Electronium which is uh, basically a uh, project for um, financial inclusion within developing economies. Um, they have a platform called AnyTask, which is basically like a Fiverr for crypto. Mm. And um, it's really uh, geared towards, uh, you know, letting people who are, uh, they don't really have access, even they might not have a laptop uh, in many cases, they just all they have is their smartphone, um, and letting them create stuff and sell it online for, uh, you know, for pennies on the dollar. Where you're gonna, what you're gonna get, you're gonna get basically the same quality, um, but uh, much cheaper. Let's say you know you can get it for like two dollars or something like that, um, and uh, they're obviously they're growing very quickly as well. Um, and uh, the more they grow the, their uh, platform, they're basically paying their creators uh, in their Electronium token. Um, so the more they grow the, their platform, the more there's built-in usage uh, of, the, of the currency itself. So um, that's very exciting. And I think also uh, over the next few years um, can turn into something extremely, extremely large. And uh, number four is um, Luno, which is a hot wallet for crypto. It's actually um, one of uh, Barry Silver's projects. Um, and uh, it was actually recommended to me by our Bitcoin analyst, Jason Dean, who's um, one of the number one Bitcoin analysts in the world. In my, in my humble opinion, uh, he's a top writer for crypto on uh, Medium. 
and um, he's actually a, he has his own mining operation. So he's really um, you know kind of and he's of course he's been on CNBC and uh, Bloomberg and uh, quite frequently appears in the news there as well. Uh, so he's been working with them for for quite a while now, and um, as soon as he recommended to me, like I, I, for me it was like his recommendation was was good as gold, uh, and I looked into him and I started speaking with the you know with, with the team there, and and it just it seemed it seemed to click. Um, so basically, uh, this is our like for anybody who's new and says okay, which which wallet should I use? Uh, we definitely send them to uh, Luno.com and we'll give them a, a coupon code, uh, which is QE for everyone. Um, and you get some free sets. Alf, do you realize that our audience has either been watching or listening to this episode for 20 minutes? 20 minutes? They should probably subscribe. Yeah, they should subscribe and they should like and comment and hit that notifications bell. Oh, and did you tell them about the NFTs? That's right. We have our own NFT for our OG supporters. This is a way you can support our show, help us bring you continual great content. Information on that is below. So I, I'm wondering what your thoughts are on just since you've been interested in the space since 2013 or since you've been knowledgeable about it um, and, and how you've seen it. But there's this theory behind that some people have behind this four year cyclical thing that's revolving around the Bitcoin having event. I mean, what you're doing, I'm sure is different, but do you have any opinions on whether that might play out that way? Or, or do you even, is that something you're even looking at? It, it certainly is interesting. And uh, we recently did a, a research piece uh, for a client, which was a ghost-written piece. I don't want to give away too many, too much of the details, as their proprietary uh, knowledge now. Hmm. Um, but it, it is interesting, right? And um, the pattern has repeated itself almost exactly, right? Now, what is it? We're on the third time. Um, so all we can say is if history repeats itself, right? But that is a big if. And as somebody who comes from a uh, background in traditional uh, financial markets, um, there's a disclaimer that the regulators make you say whenever you use a chart, which is past performance does not indicate future results. Um, and that very much applies here. I mean, just basically, we know what happened in the past, but we don't know what's going to happen in the future. So let's say if history repeats itself for the fourth time, then Bitcoin is very likely to be around $400,000, uh, you know, within the next five years. <laughs> That's a, it's it's a, an interesting statement, but uh, obviously it's not something that we can really count on a hundred percent but uh if we look at everything else i mean it, it makes sense that you know uh anybody who lives in the digital age should have uh an exposure to bitcoin and of course that's also going to be very personal depending on you know if you live in uh, a country like venezuela or turkey which has uh hyperinflation or if you're managing a billion dollar portfolio, you're going to want a different level of exposure to Bitcoin, right? So sure. there's different different strokes for different folks, I would say. Uh, in that regard, let's say you're someone who wants to invest in crypto. Maybe you are new to crypto, but you don't you're not getting in because of the crazy potential, because of the crazy volatility. You don't want to jump in and expect 100x gains. You want to jump in and you want to reduce your risk as much as possible, but you still want to make some gains, but maybe maybe smaller gains more consistently. Would you have advice for, you know, obviously very high level we're speaking here, but some sort of strategy on how someone could reduce the volatility and still enter the world of crypto and, and potentially make some decent gains in on a slower, more steady path? Oh, yeah, definitely. So um, and obviously without this being considered financial Not advice, financial advice. Um, the number one thing that you can do to reduce the risk in your portfolio is to diversify. 
Um, it's mathematically proven and it's been used deployed by portfolio managers around the world for decades, if not centuries. Um, the more you diversify, uh, the more you maintain the upside potential while limiting the downside risk. It's a very simple formula. Um, obviously that works better when you're utilizing different asset classes rather than just because sometimes I tell people, yeah, you should diversify. They're like, I'm holding 20 different cryptos. Uh, that's not, not exactly what I mean here. Yes, that does help being exposed to 20 different cryptos is going to be depending on which ones, obviously, um, much more safe than holding on to one, because when you hold on to one, uh, you're basically, you have that kind of 50, 50 shot, it goes up or it goes down. Right. And you're going to either have a happy day or a sad day every day. Right. Um, but when you're holding on to 20, uh, then the losers, the, the winners tend to make up for the gainers. Right. Um, obviously the crypto market itself is very correlated unto itself. So, uh, that doesn't always work out. And obviously if you're using, uh, the more established cryptocurrencies, right. The ones that are in the top, say 10, 20 uh, by market cap, those are generally going to be a lot more stable. Whereas if you're getting the ones that go, Oh, you can only get that one on Uniswap. And then you go, well, you know, that's going to be a bit, that's going to be a bit more risky. Obviously there's a lot more upside potential because, you know, it hasn't been listed on Binance yet. I mean, it, it had, you know, if it does get, you know, if it does get listed and it does get the project gains traction, I mean, you can see thousands of percentage points, like, you know, like, like we've seen in, in um, many different projects very recently. Um, but again, it's going to depend on who you are, but I would say also for most investors who are using more than, uh, dabble money, uh, you, you are going to want exposure to different asset classes as well. And, uh, yeah, that means, you know, stocks and, uh, ETFs and, uh, indexes, currencies, commodities, and, and all of those fun things as well. Earlier in our conversation, you talked about in 2008 kind of having an insider's look at what was happening with the financial crisis. And especially in the last year, year and a half with the amount of money that's been printed for our audience who maybe isn't aware that this could be potentially a big issue. Do you mind just explaining that, like the basics of, of what you've experienced and also what you think the result of all of this is going to be? Yeah, definitely. Wait, I mean, this is really a large focus of quantum economics. It's going to be on on our about us pages, basically. Um, you know, it, we are very dedicated to uh, understanding and teaching uh, about the central banks, what they are, what they do, and how it's affecting things on the ground. It's also a very large focus of my personal writing, which I'm writing a daily uh, newsletter. Um, which is read by, um, I don't want to, uh, go too, too deep into that, but just say, let's suffice it to say by, uh, all of the, uh, top tier financial media. Um, so it would be difficult to explain kind of in a nutshell. Um, but what we can say is that, uh, it's and I am critical in many ways, as I believe everybody within the within the crypto market and just about everybody who identifies as a libertarian uh, can be very critical of the Fed's actions. Um, but it's also very prudent for us to understand where they're coming from and. and uh, uh, my VP of content uh, started a discussion in our in our team group uh, just today about this. Wait a second, you're you're criticizing because I wrote about it on Friday and I gave it to them. I I handed it. To them. I was like, and this is, and I call I, I I didn't stop short of calling them clowns. Um, and he's like, well, but what would you do differently, right? And it's it's something that I've put some thought into before. Uh, but I would say that it, 
you can't really come to any answers because, um, well, first of all, all, all politicians, um, you know, think uh, think short term, and because you know it, it's easy to uh, pile on a mountain of debt when you're not going to be there by the time that debt is is called back. Um, so that's one thing. But on the other thing, the other hand, I mean, imagine you're Jay Powell himself, right? And on the one hand, um, you have the option to push the button or to not push the button, right? So pushing the button, we all know, makes the stock market go up. And that makes people pretty happy, right? Um, on the other hand, if you don't push the button, uh, the stock market could fall. And you're going to get blamed for that, right? So uh, somebody with uh, you know, a, a, an inkling of self-preservation <laughs> Right, who doesn't want uh, the powers that be to throw him out is going to push the button almost every time, mm -hmm. uh, and so it's very difficult uh, to say. Would it have I been in that position with that enormous amount of pressure? Would I push the button or not push the button? Right, and I, you know, I, I can say right now, yeah, I would, I would, you know cause austerity and I would like try to do what's best for the economy and uh, at least not uh, you know not put in so much uh, stimulus and let them the free markets take care of themselves but honestly I have no idea what I would be in that position and obviously there's a path to that position which kind of also shapes your thinking around these things and gives uh, credence and justification uh, to those type of actions, uh, stuff that, you know, um, you know, I, 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 I'm very thankful that I have not, uh, been exposed to, um, too much. Kind of points out maybe many of the things that are wrong with the system and the way that it's currently built. The fact that someone who has that power also has all those pressures on them, I mean, what do you expect kind of in that type of scenario? You're absolutely right, Wolf. I think that um, it, it would be interesting uh, to design a kind of algorithm that gets to decide to push the button or not push the button because the algorithm doesn't have any of those pressures. Uh, he doesn't care about job security. Um, but I, I suppose that that could, you know, that could be also uh, portrayed on, on the system at large. I mean, especially, you know, uh, as we know, in the United States with the two party system, um, you know, it's kind of the illusion of choice. Uh, and I don't think that, you know, uh, Donald Trump was any really different, really different in any way, really different from Joe Biden. I mean, like at their at their core, they're both going to try and they're both going to try and uh do the same things even if they don't try to do it in the same way or specifically support different political uh, agendas um they both have uh, much more in common than they do uh opposite of in common yeah um so i guess going further down that then whether or not you know, you or I would make the decision to to push the button and that kind of thing. I mean, what do you see as being the result of this? I mean, in, in inflation, how is this, do you think, going to affect the value of the U.S. dollar? Well, uh, short answer, we don't know. Um, I, the two, In 2009, when, when quantitative easing was first deployed, uh, there was mass panic among economists. It didn't, it, that, that panic never really proliferated to the lower economy because people didn't, like they were, they had bigger problems to deal with at the time. People were pretty upset about the bailout and how the bankers never got in trouble for, for what they did. Uh, but it didn't really go much further than that. Uh, the economists, on the other hand, they didn't really care about the bailouts. Actually, they were uh, worried about inflation. They say, hey, where you're just you're just printing all of this money. You're just introducing more and more money, uh, and they were quite certain that inflation, hyperinflation, was around the corner. And that was in 2009, and it went all the way till 2011. And of course, the number one trade at the time was gold. Everybody wanted gold, and gold just 
basically went up and up and up that entire period. It was like three years, but it just did not stop going up. Like a few minor pullbacks here and there, but no, no nothing that resembled, you know, kind of uh, a, a breakout from the bull market. Um, then around 2013, people looked around and they're like, well, they've printed all this money. I don't see any inflation, do you? In fact, there was deflation. Um, and for many years, nobody really understood why. Um, nowadays, there are theories, but I still think that this is uh, considered to be w one of the biggest puzzles, uh, you know, economic puzzles in history is why they keep printing more and more money. And actually, the periods of, you know, 2015, 16, 17, these were largely deflationary periods where actually um, the value, uh, the value of, uh, of money not only held its value, but actually went slightly up, which um, then the Fed stepped in and they said, okay, wait a second, we should be printing more because we don't want deflation. And then they, they started to see themselves as this like superhero fighting deflationary forces. Uh, the price of gold crashed in 2013 because uh, <laughs> they're like, there isn't inflation and they should just keep uh, keep the printing presses running. And then the economists started, uh, as they do, uh, you know, just as the weatherman, when the weather turns, they, they change their they change their tune as well. Um, so there are a lot of differences between now and then, no doubt, N not least of which is the amount of money that's been printed, which is just completely ridiculous the other thing is that we're learning more about the economy now hmm. and it's no longer seen or being seen in this kind of binary uh inflation or deflation right actually and this is what i wrote about on friday was that everybody was at the beginning of the pandemic right and the pandemic just changed everything first of all uh, the the wealth gap went blue got blown wide open. Actually, the amount that was transferred into the pockets of the rich is almost identical to the, the amount that the, the poor had lost during the pandemic, which is a shame in many ways mm -hmm. and very sad. Um, obviously, uh, economists at the beginning were were arguing if it was going what what shape the the recovery would take right would it be a u shape right it goes down and then back up would it be an l shape right down and then like a very long drawn out uh would it be a w shape false recovery back down and then eventually up and most of the economists kind of settled on this nike swoosh right which is like down and then and which is actually what happened in the stock market but if we look at uh what's happening in in the real economy uh, which is not necessarily reflected in the stock market. Uh, the shape is actually a K, right? It's going in two separate directions at once, right? Where uh, the rich are getting richer, the poor are getting poorer. Um, but even inflation is K-shaped, right? Where the prices of food and energy, for example, are going up, but the price of technology uh, and things like that are going down, right? Um, and I think that certainly we can we're 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 just seeing things differently uh, than we used to. And it, before it was it was more binary, and now it's a lot more uh, multifaceted when we try to look at the bigger picture of how things are shaping up. Um, I don't think any of it's good. Obviously, um, you know, if you happen to be on the on the top half of the K, uh, you know. You consider yourself blessed, but for those who are who are on the bottom half, I think um, life is very difficult at the moment. Do you see any like solution for fixing that that issue? Wow. Um, again, thankfully, I'm not in the position where I'm. Uh, I have to make that that call, but it is something that again. Uh, I, I've been dedicating a lot of thought to these last few days, and most likely that'll turn up in, in the newsletter uh, sometime this week. Hmm. I want to switch gears, Mati, and I want to address a tweet that you you have pinned right now. So, so this tweet's from April 4th, and you chose to pin it, and the tweet is, Ethereum is quickly becoming the preferred currency of the World Wide Web. So we've it's interesting because we've had a few guests who are like, 
ETH maximalists, I guess you could call them. Like they're all in ETH. We've had some, we actually had Charles Hoskinson on an episode, you know, founder of Cardano. We've had some other ETH killer supporters, I guess you could say, uh, if you want to word it that way. But question for you, it's two part. First off, what made you write that tweet? And why did you choose to pin that tweet? Yeah, so that's, that's a two-parter there. Um, what made me write it was actually uh, an article. And I was going to put the article in the tweet, but I decided not to at the end because it didn't really have anything to do with the article. But the article was about a girl who had 15 minutes of fame like four or five years ago as uh, she did a music video uh, called like the clingy girlfriend or something like that. Hmm. She was like, uh, put like words of a stalker or something like that. And, um, and, and it blew up and she went viral and she had this very viral lifestyle kind of reliving those 15 minutes of fame since then. And now, uh, she's kind of sold her moment of fame as an NFT. Hmm. Uh, and she sold it for, I, I don't remember the amount off my, off the top of my head. I believe it was about a half a million dollars. Wow. Um, in Ethereum, right? That, that innovation of the NFTs, which has now gone viral, which is touching so many aspects from art to sports to, you know, uh, baseball cards and, and everything like that. All, all of that's being built on Ethereum. In the previous uh, hotspot of of uh, of crypto, which is um, very much still alive, is DeFi, right? Decentralized finance, and that's all being built on top of Ethereum. And when we start to think about the World Wide Web 3.0, right? Um, it's it's all on Ethereum. I mean, obviously, Bitcoin uh, has a one up on Ethereum as far as being a storehold of wealth because of its digital scarcity, right? And because of its brand recognition, it's much more liquid if you're trying to get a payment through across the world. Not everybody knows how to deal uh, with Ethereum, and it's much easier to 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 transact in in Bitcoin for you know for the purposes of international trade and 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 whatnot, which is. I can't explain to you how many times I've tried to send money through the traditional system and it just wouldn't go through for whatever reason. And then all of a sudden you just say, okay, fine, just give me your Bitcoin address, right? <laughs> and you know that the transaction happens within 10 or 20 minutes is done, usually a lot less than that, sometimes a bit more, but you don't care, right? Because you, you're, you're banging your head against the wall for a week or two, right? And then you know, Bitcoin and it's done. Um, now, so I, I, I tweeted that out and this is, here comes the second, the second part. Right. And, and, um, I noticed there was a, an overweight of engagement on it where on the one hand, almost every reply on the tweet was, no, it's not, no, it's not. And those are the Ethereum killers. But on the other hand, there was a lot of likes and retweets, right? Uh, like, you have to think, I mean, Charles Hoskinson included, there's so many people out there that are, that are trying to pump their own bags, right? And yeah, Ethereum can be slow sometimes and sometimes it can be expensive, but that's because people are using it, right? You can't like, don't, you don't ever forget that. Cardano, they can say that they're scalable, but until they see the level of traffic that Ethereum is seeing, we don't know whether the fees will spike. And the same goes for Binance Chain and whatever other uh, quote-unquote Ethereum killer is out there. Um, so, I mean, that NFT sale and all of the NFT sales have been in Ethereum. Uh, when you go onto those markets, when we think about the, the, the building of the World Wide Web, it's all happening right now on Ethereum. Whether or not some other cryptocurrency might come out and change that, it might but that's not what I was talking about. I wasn't talking about five years into the future when Cardano might might finally be ready for use. Um, I'm talking about right now, as it stands, uh, it, Ethereum is very quickly becoming the cryptocurrency of the World Wide Web. How do you feel about maybe the analogy that um, some people would make around the fact that they might compare, they say, okay, because I, for example, Ethereum supporters, and for the record, I'm an Ethereum supporter. 
but I'm also a supporter of these other projects. I think, why does it got to be a one-sum game? There can be multiple projects that can all take off, but never mind that. Um, the point I'm making is for Ethereum supporters specifically, uh, who believe that it's kind of like the one, uh, the one project that really matters, they might uh, make the argument um, that you just made that Ethereum is the one being used today. It's the one with all the development. It's the one with people actually utilizing the platform. And then sort of the counter argument from these other platforms that aren't actually there today is they say, oh, yeah, well, what about the Yahoo's and the Bing's and, you know, these, you know, search engines, as an example, they come and then they go and they're king for a while. And then a new king arrives on the scene. Um, Or you could use browsers as an analogy or whatever you want. And is that a fair analogy or is that completely different in this when we're talking about crypto? It is a fair analogy, but what I would and and again, I'm not I'm not an Ethereum maximalist or anything like that, right? I mean, I've <laughs> obviously you know just from 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 who I am and the projects that I'm involved in, I I hope that you can you can get a picture of that. I mean, I'm just coming to kind of commenting <laughs> on uh, what's 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 happening under our noses, but um, I think that it is correct and. There is a possibility, right, that another cryptocurrency protocol or other way of transferring value uh, peer-to-peer over the World Wide Web uh, will emerge as a dominant player later on. It's quite possible. And um, But what I would also say is that um, it's far more likely for a dominant player to consolidate power than it is for an outsider to come and grab that market share, right? Like, imagine another search engine trying to overtake Google at the moment, or another online vendor trying to overtake Amazon. I mean, it's just so large, yeah, right? And that's and that's the way I, I see Ethereum at the moment. And yes, it's possible that it, that you know others and especially with the power of interoperability where you can just make things that are uh, also connected to ethereum but not necessarily dependent on it and then people can kind of wean their dependence off yeah it's possible um but as an investor uh you want to uh position your portfolio with the dominant player out front and then have the side bets right and then have those ones that okay maybe if you know that one comes out and 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 gains in market share it has a bigger upside and you you want to have those in your portfolio but on a, on a much smaller level hey man i'm wearing an ethereum shirt right now so uh, i'm on board with what you're saying for sure nice. it's funny nice. actually the example you gave the another one there was that uh what's his his username's like Dogface or something like that, but he had the TikTok video skate longboarding or skateboarding down, drinking the cranberry juice, listening to Dreams by Fleetwood Mac. And it was like, again, just a viral moment. And I think he's flipping that into an NFT with a minimum bid price of 300000 or 500000 Apologies if I'm getting that wrong. So I think it's yeah. an interesting point you make on that for sure. Mati, this has yeah. been an awesome interview, just so much value packed into it. We like to end all of our conversations with a little three question segment that we ask the same three questions to each guest. And we call that you had me at crypto. So Alf's going to ask you those questions. (laughs) Nice. All right, Mati, who's your favorite person to follow in the crypto space? Oh, geez. I don't know, man. Um, Al Finney. <laughs> I don't know. Well, what am I going to say? Um, yeah, there's no wrong answer. I think documenting Bitcoin has been doing a good job. Uh, it's relative. It's a relatively new one, but he's got a very large following because uh, some some good uh, some good content, very good solid content. Is that on Twitter? On Twitter, yeah, of course. Where documenting else? Bitcoin. Yeah, fair yeah. Enough. Where else exactly? <laughs> Hey, you never know. I digest a lot of video content. Oh, steam so. it, steam it, steam it. <laughs> uh, okay, question two. What will the price of Bitcoin be 10 years from now? Probably, and I say this with a 99% certainty, 
between a hundred dollars and a million. That's interesting, actually. We've had we've had similar uh, answers where we've had like zero or a million, basically, because yeah, some people are like, well, it's either going to crash and burn or or it's skyrocketing. But what I find interesting there, so our most popular answer is one million which obviously yeah. people are saying it's going to be around that. But your answer is baking in the fact that you don't think it will be over a million in 10 years. Um, well, over 10 years, I suppose uh, it has a possibility. That, that, that question, I think, really has more to do with the U.S. dollar's value than it does with Bitcoins, right? If the U.S. dollar completely hyperinflates, I mean, it could be billions, honestly. Mm. Yeah. Good point. All right. Question three. What is the most underrated coin or project in crypto? Come again. What is the most underrated coin or project in crypto? Oh boy, underrated. I, I'm gonna go with. I mean, I'm gonna. I'm gonna go with one of the ones that I'm advising, which is uh, Electronium, hmm. and I think that they that they deserve uh, a lot more credit than they're getting. I think that. Um, you know, I think a few people came out against them in the very beginning and that that very that uh, kind of hurt them. But I think that they're doing a great service to people who need it a lot. Is this okay, I'm going off my memory and, I, and I'm not 100 percent sure. But is Electronium the one um, like was it a wallet originally or did it come out with a wallet and you could earn Electron uh, Electronium if you had the wallet and it was like a mobile app? That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mobile, mobile mining. Right. Um, and I mean, they had to kind of shut it down because there was um, people farming. <laughs> Obviously, I mean, I'm sure you've seen like uh, videos of like people with uh, a wall of 100 uh, mobile phones and stuff like that. And right. a lot of the time what they're doing is they're uh, kind of uh, looking for, for things like that. Um, Obviously, no spoilers, but they're they're uh, working on a few things that might uh, that might be very interesting along those lines as well. Cool, awesome, good stuff, Mati. This has been an absolute privilege having you on the show. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Show Me the Crypto. Thanks a lot, guys. We'll see you soon. Thank you for listening to Show Me the Crypto. Please make sure to subscribe as well as rate and review this podcast.